And welcome everybody on this once again hot, humid Monday afternoon. Hello, Dan Torres. Good afternoon, Buzz. You went up to the cooler uh, state of Vermont over the weekend. Is that right? Uh, I wouldn't say cooler, Buzz. No, it's just as hot. It, it, it was hot. It was hot. It was, uh, but it was beautiful. You know, it's Vermont. I thought elevation makes all the difference. The yeah. higher you go, the cooler it gets. Yeah, not true. Not true. This weekend proved that uh, we share we share a climate, <laughs> and it's it was hot there, and muggy and humid, just like it was over here. But the scenery was nice. I went to Burlington, Vermont, for the weekend, and uh, it was great. It was a great town. I'd never been, so uh, it was first time going up there. I mean, you know, usually I go to Brattleboro if I go anywhere, right? right. So. This I like Brattleboro. I said, yeah, Brattleboro's nice, but I'm glad I, I went up. Yeah, 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 to Burlington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We it's just nice. went to Bennington a few weeks ago and had a great time up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great weekend. I went to visit a professor, friend of mine, who lives there and uh, hung out, had a good time. Did you talk politics? Did you All talk... weekend long, actually, Buzz. That's, that's what makes it special. All right. Dream you know, come that, true. That and some wine, and we talk politics, and oh we fix all the God, world's I problems. I can only imagine Dan Torres with a bunch hey, of wine. I was wine. promoting this show, Buzz. I oh, was were? promoting this show. I was. Well, thank you. That's great. I'm glad somebody was. <laughs> it's our marketing team, me. <laughs> I know. Listen, you know what I want to do right now? Yeah. I've been thinking about this all weekend, and I think I want to steal a page from... Uh, the Bill Newman handbook. Um, You're going to return it? He begins many of his shows with the fish wrap, where he takes uh, something that tickled his fancy out of a newspaper and reads from the article and then discusses it. Well, I'd like to read a little bit more for you. I don't, do you know who Heather Cox Richardson is? I do. Yeah. I get her substack in my her. email every day. Yeah, I read, I read her in the morning. I start my day with a cup of coffee and Heather and... And um, she's a she's, professor at Boston College. She is, and yeah. she also she's an historian. She is, and a political commentator. Yes. And so she not only talks about what's happening, but she talks about whether this has happened before in the past. Yeah, which gives us some perspective, right? It does. But this morning she didn't talk about what happened in the past. Mm. She talked about what happened yesterday afternoon in the Senate. Mm. And I'm sure that anybody who's listening, unless you've been living in a cave, which is not a bad place to live during climate uh, problems, but... Uh, I hear it's cheap. <laughs> it's very And affordable. <laughs> um, this is what she wrote this morning. Heather Cox Richardson, quote, The yeas are 50. The nays are 50. The Senate being equally divided, the vice president votes in the affirmative. And the bill, as amended, is passed. End quote. So spoke Vice President Kamala Harris, she writes, after an all-night session. Her vote passed the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 through the Senate. It will now go to the House where it's expected to pass. The measure devotes nearly $370 billion to addressing climate change and energy reform, the largest federal investment in climate change in U.S. history. It will make it easier and cheaper to get electric cars and to heat and cool homes without fossil fuels. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Reagan says their analysis is that families will save an average of $500 a year on energy costs alone, while also creating new jobs in these fields. 
It extends for three years to subsidies for health care under the Affordable Care Act that Congress originally passed during the pandemic. It will invest about $300 billion towards reducing the deficit. She goes on, still reading verbatim. The money for these programs will come from several places. The bill will lower the cost of certain prescription drugs by enabling the government to negotiate the prices of expensive drugs for Medicare, a policy that most nations already have, but the U.S. hasn't. It also caps the cost of insulin at $35 a month for people on Medicare, parentheses. Republicans stripped out of the bill a similar protection for those on private insurance. It makes corporations making $1 billion or more in income pay a 15% minimum tax, and it will tax stock buybacks at 1%. We'll talk about that in a little while. And it will invest more than $100 billion in enforcing the existing tax laws on the books, laws that are increasingly ignored as the IRS has too few agents to conduct audits of large accounts. You know, Dan, this is just such an important thing. What I want to talk to you about, not right now, but in a few minutes, is about how this got done. You know, they always talk about how the sausage gets made, and I'd like to peel back the curtains a little bit and take a look at how it got passed. But what we do know is that Senate Democrats passed the measure by using the process of budget reconciliation. That, if listeners don't know, that covers certain types of revenue measures and prevents them from requiring the filibuster. They can pass on a simple majority. <clears throat> the filibuster, of course, means that you need a 60-vote majority to pass legislation, which we can't get because Republicans will never join Democrats in voting for a bill, no matter how much it helps people. That's my view. Although the pieces of the measure, this one, has bipartisan support in the entire country, Every single Republican voted against this bill. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, he called it an economic disaster. He said it's going to exacerbate inflation. Of course, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office disagrees. And he said that using reconciliation is unconscionable. Well, Republicans used reconciliation. Remember their own signature measure in December of 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017? This law cut the corporate tax rate from about 35% to 21%, with the now traditional Republican claim that such a cut would spur economic growth. Although the Congressional Budget Office then estimated that measure would add about $2 trillion to the national debt over 10 years. It is indeed adding unthinkable amounts to the national debt, but at a rate faster than the CBO thought, faster than $2 trillion over 10 years. That Tax and Jobs Act didn't increase employment as it was promised. It didn't increase wages as the Republicans said they expected. Both wages and jobs actually dipped as corporations use those tax cuts. Why? Primarily to buy back their stock with that extra money, which made their stocks more valuable on the market. That measure was the signature piece of legislation during the Trump, the Republican administration that preceded this administration. And let's contrast. In the past 18 months, 
The Democrats have rebuilt the economy after the pandemic had shattered it. They invested, they've invested in technology and in science. They expanded NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, to stand against Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. They eliminated the Al-Qaeda leader last week, Zawahiri. They pulled troops out of Afghanistan finally after a 19-year war. They passed the first gun safety law in almost 30 years. They put a black woman on the Supreme Court. They reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act. They addressed the needs of veterans who were exposed to toxic, toxic burn pits, even after Republicans had refused to vote for it. They invested in our roads and our bridges and our manufacturing in a $1.2 trillion, much, much needed infrastructure bill. They are now turning to lowering the cost of prescription drugs, which has long been a priority since 2003, tackling climate change, we all know about that, all while lowering the deficit. And they're bringing this critical CHIPS bill into being, and a plant is going to finally be built in the United States, in Arizona, to produce those chips that are at the very heart of the tech industry. And for much of the program, they've managed to attract no Republican votes because Republicans care more about politics than they do about their country, about their constituency. You know, before I want to talk to you, Dan, about how this happened, Washington Post columnist E.J. Dion noted accurately today that what these measures do is far more than the sum of their parts. Democracy is imperiled. They show Americans that democracy is messy and it's slow, but that it can work, and it can work for them. Since he took office, that's been President Joe Biden's argument. He would head off the global drive towards authoritarianism, and he would do it by showing that democracy is still the best system of government out there. At a time when authoritarians are trying to demonstrate that democracies can't function nearly as effectively as the rule of an elite few, Joe Biden's administration is proving them wrong. And as Heather Cox Richardson ended this morning, this is a very big deal indeed. Dan, this is an incredibly big deal. Yes. What are your thoughts? Uh, this was really important for the Democrats to get through in order to have a better chance at winning in November. Why do I say that? I think it helps those who are running for re-election to say, we're getting things done. We're passing legislation. This is in a program we can run on. Yes, we are rebuilding the infrastructure. And let me add, as I drove from here to Vermont, there's a lot of construction going on on those interstate systems. I mean, I won't say it's directly related to the $1.2 trillion that you mentioned, which some Republicans, I believe, voted for. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, seven. The infrastructure seven, yeah, to, to get it through the hurdle. But the more recent legislation you're passing is a lot of what the activists were on the ground. They were getting people to vote for Joe Biden back in 2020. It's the people who elected him didn't feel like, hey, we fought for you. We didn't get anything. And finally, they got something through that at least Joe Biden now has a way to converse with them saying, hey, all of that fighting you did, get two Democratic senators elected in Georgia. The, if you, that hadn't happened, none of that legislation gets through. That's a really good point. Right? So in some ways, they had to get something through. Now, 
Is this originally what they wanted? No. If we go back in time, the bill yeah, was much larger. Big back. It was supposed to be a trillion, three, but which, which I believe was a shrunken number from the original six trillion, and then Somebody they shrunk it. The, the, but they're not, not really Biden. serious. Not yeah. Biden. It was like a three trillion dollar over ten years. Which, if you think about it, is over ten years. So three trillion sounds like a lot. But when you think about it through a whole decade, it's, it's all not that much. No, really. it's, 300, three, it's, it's only it's like, 300 billion a year, which is about what I spend at the big Y. Exactly, exactly. You know, just to fuel up your, your jet that you have. Um, but no, so, so this is still significant investment in climate change, something he's been fighting for. Yes, it does expand some fossil fuel uh, energy expansions uh, for uh probably guess. But either way, I think uh, this is really going to help some Democrats throughout the country run on this plan, especially if, you know, inflation numbers and gas prices have begun to come down. If inflation starts coming down and you pass this legislation, people are going to think like, hey, Joe is an effective uh, leader in passing things. So I hope, I hope, strategy. I hope, I hope. And Congress. And that's where, it, you know. Yeah, and it's Congress right. passing this. And, I mean, we could that's talk about Joe Biden. what's got to happen is we have to sort of what? make sure that the Republicans don't take control in either chambers. And if people well, are working hard to make sure that that happens, you got to work harder because what you're seeing now is good the, the stuff that can happen. The House, the House legislation, I mean, I'm sorry, the House uh, election looks like the Democrats are going to really struggle to win that. I didn't, hear what, I didn't even hear what you said. It looks like what? It looks like the Democrats are not going to keep the House of Representatives. I think it's too early to say that, and I think this could be a, a moment. Okay. And so let's talk about that after the break. We're going to be back right after the break, and we're going to talk more about, among other things, how the Senate Democrats passed this bill on a party line vote. We'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. On our next show, we'll have the author of an amazing new prison memoir, Journalist Carrie Blakinger will share her story of her time behind the razor wire and how and why she got there. Plus, we'll be talking baseball with the Duke, Duke Goldman. All this beginning this morning at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP. News, information, and the arts. There are farm fresh eggs just around the corner and beef across town. Local food is all around. It's a connection to your community, to the land and the people. There's a handy guide to the farm fresh food all around you, the local hero guide on the CISA website. You never know how close you are to something good for dinner tonight, something harvested just this morning. CISA's local hero guide, your guide to farm fresh food, on the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic. The best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing, 
Therapeutic mattresses are clean and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A Therapeutic mattress from Talent Furniture is your best bet and best deal. Today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are talking about what I hope is a game changer, uh, not just in terms of uh, climate, not just in terms of energy, not just in terms of how many people get health care and how it gets paid for, but in terms of the outlook for midterm elections. Um, in November, as we just before we broke, Dan sort of he muttered it. I had to ask him to uh, to repeat it. But you 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 once again said, which makes me bristle because it's so far away that it looks like the Democrats are going to lose the House. So well, the statisticians are are, are predicting that. That that said. What, the that ones who said that Hillary can't lose? Exactly. Yeah. Those same ones that everybody believes in and trusts because right. the numbers are never wrong. However, they've predicted that the Democrats would likely lose the House. They have like a 10 or 15% chance of keeping it. That, that What I've seen, that was before the Supreme Court decisions that were made. Mm. That was before what just passed recently. Could this legislation and these changes coalesce a stronger coalition that could help Democrats keep the House, maybe even shrink their current majority, but still keep a majority in the House of Representatives. Be difficult, obviously, to know. I mean, I think that the Republicans have a much harder hurdle to win in the Senate, because it looks like some of their candidates aren't doing well in Georgia, in Ohio. They, they should be a lot closer. Again, this usually happens in America when the presidency is a Democrat, the Republicans... Uh, two years later, tend to pick up seats. It's almost always happened. Depending who wins the House, the other party wins two years later. But the reason so. why, when I taught political science, and yes. every textbook author sort of explains that, points it out, just as you did. It mm -hmm. is accurate what you just said, mm -hmm. that in those years where the, the, the opposition tends to do better in congressional races mm -hmm. uh, relative mm -hmm. to the opposition, relative to who's in the White House. Mm -hmm. But the reason why is not uh, so much of a mystery as it used to be. The reason why is because they're more motivated because they're angry at whoever's in the White House. So the opposite party mm. beats the rugs to get so, out the vote it, more aggressively than the sort of, oh, we'll do okay, uh, party, the majority holds the White House. So, yeah, yeah I think that, I, that's the explanation that I've read. Yeah, sure. I mean, and I think Republicans will be motivated to to vote. I mean, I, I think... You uh, bet. So, but so, what's the moral of that but, story but already, here? But, but I think after the Supreme Court decisions and after this legislation passes or, or passed in the Senate, they'll make significant investments. Joe Biden has to go out and, and try to convince people, this is why you got me elected. This is what I've accomplished. You listed some of those things in the earlier segment, right? They just now need to go sell that as well. You got to remind people the importance of voting. Otherwise, they're going to give up on it, Buzz. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's just going to sit home and be like, hey, job done. Okay, they got right. some stuff. So. If, if, if you are a person of color, if you are uh, a poor person, if you are a young person, if you are a woman who's concerned about your reproductive rights, it's so irresponsible for you not to can't, 
do everything you can to make sure and, that you're and, properly registered, especially in those jurisdictions that's trying to kick you off the and, registration. And, and let's not forget Kansas, too. And I mean, Kansas. I you know, how many people were worried about that? They were like, oh, people are going to come out. It's a little confusing. Those who voted no would prevent the state legislature in Kansas from amending the Constitution in order to restrict a woman's right to choose. Well, they voted to, to block that process from going forward, protecting a woman's right to choose in Kansas. And significantly, if I remember the figures, it was like 58. Uh, 49 51. to 41. 54, oh yeah, 59, 59 to 41, 41, which is significant. Very so significant. So there's a way to motivate people and really get them out there. They Again, the Supreme Court decisions plus this legislation, things have changed. And... Uh, well, I mean, you're right. Uh, I will hedge and say we don't know what's going to happen in November. I backed him off that you backed position. backed me off. There you go, Buzz. Oh, man. See? You won. Hey, but I do got to say one thing about the legislation that was passed, the Build Back Better. Please. That, that I wanted to add. Uh, you mean the Inflation this, Reduction Act? The Inflation Reduction Act. Yes. Uh, you know, the, we were talking about earlier, it was, uh, you know, proposed at $3.6 trillion over 10 years. And, of course, that's too much. Uh, Manchin said, no way. There's too much inflation going on. It's too big. Okay. That was February 2022. So just a couple months ago. Looked like it was dead. Gone for the water. People were really mad at Joe Manchin and cinema and saying, the Democrats, what's the point? You have 50 senators. They can't pass anything. They're dysfunctional. Now he's the hold flavor on. of the so month. No, hold on. In the earlier summer, there were conversations that Manchin was back. All of a sudden, let's 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 talk about this. Okay, he didn't like that big figure of three point six trillion. Maybe get something closer to one trillion. That that was the conversation. Yeah. Okay, fair. And then, if we remember correctly, and this was only maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, it was over. The press announced Mansion's pulling out. Biden deal lost. breaks down. Biden lost. Mansion pulls out. There's no more legislation going to pass. He just gave up on it. And people were even angrier with Manchin saying, oh, he went back into to negotiation and pulled out of any deal. Stop right there. Yeah. Now Manchin's coming back. It's like, it's like a vampire that just won't go away. It has it come back from the dead. But let me tell you what I, what I did. I remember, I remember ranting at that time. And yeah. you probably I do. Too. We have it recorded. We do. <laughs> yeah, right. My words are cemented in history. But uh, this, this, what I'm going to say now, might, uh, there might be some uh, progressives bristling at what I'm about to say right now. Because mm. this is not what AOC... I love AOC. I love Bernie. This is not what they want to hear. But I remember talking about the one thing I ever liked that Joe, that John McCain said, part of his platform was he hated earmarks. And what he always said is instead of tacking on amendments, we have this culture in the Senate of tacking on amendments that have little to do with you know the basic. Uh, uh, part of the bill mm -hmm. that's being presented and he just thought that was wrong those earmarks are wrong I'll get my little goody you know bridge in my district on this education bill right sure well I said I always thought that there was logic in that I, I what I hated about McConnell whenever he was a leader and what I what I don't like generally is when they bundle everything together so that you're, through amendments, you're not just voting on what you really should be voting on. Yeah. Deal with each of those things separately. So here, the reason I'm saying that now is 
there is some merit in saying, let's, the Build Back Better included free community college. It included daycare. It included a whole bunch of stuff which I support. Well, let's take them up one at a time, mm. let people go on record whether they want free daycare or free community college and and not have that be bundled in with, you know, infrastructure and mm-hmm. and uh, climate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my position. I'm sticking to it. We're going to take a break, and in a few minutes we're going to be back with Megan Zinn, as we always are on a Monday afternoon. She's going to be talking about what it was like to go through the pandemic. Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An investigation is ongoing after a former employee of the VA Medical Center in Leeds was arrested last Thursday. Kevin Dival of Royalston is charged with uploading and downloading child pornography through the facility's free public Wi-Fi. A detention hearing is set for tomorrow. Staffers in the Massachusetts House and Senate are trying to form a union. However, Senate President Karen Spilka recently discouraged the staff members from unionizing due to the unique structure of the Senate and laws that make it difficult for staffers to work together in that way. Here's Max Page. And the Senate and the House have thus far refused to acknowledge and and recognize this union and the Senate in particular last week took a stand saying, I'm sorry, it's too complicated. There's there's legal issues. There's this and that. And it's it's rather disturbing. Legislators have decided not to voluntarily recognize the union efforts and instead Senate staffers will proceed with trying to get state laws changed to allow for the union to take shape in the next legislative session. The Emily Dickinson Museum in Amherst will finally reopen August 16th, following major restoration to the Dickinson homestead. The homestead has been reconfigured with period-style wallpaper, floor coverings, and other finishings, as well as significant remodeling to recreate the home's original interior. The museum has been closed since COVID began in March of 2020. For the rest of today, sun and clouds, hot and humid, chance for an afternoon shower thunderstorm, highs 92 to 96. Tonight, chance for an evening shower thunderstorm, otherwise mostly cloudy, overnight lows 72 to 76. And the other Tuesday, partly sunny, hot and humid, chance for an afternoon shower thunderstorm, highs around 90. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Five eight six one thousand. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this. 
but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHA. And thanks for joining us. This is a great time every week on Monday afternoon. It is Megan Zinn. Hello, Megan. Hi, Buzz. Um, and my guest today for, um, for what are we calling this? Cabin Fever Roundtable, but I've, I've started calling it the semi-post-pandemic era roundtable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my guest is Ezekiel Baskin, and um, he's, they're the Rural Health Education Coordinator at New, New England Rural Health Association. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry. Um, they also work in theater as a director, uh, producer, lighting designer, and stage manager. And um, I asked Ezekiel here to talk to me about how the pandemic has impacted their career, um, because it's been pretty significant. Um, So um, Ezekiel, what kind of work were you doing when the pandemic began? Nice to be here with you, Megan. Um, So before the pandemic began, I was working in theater as a director and Mm -hmm. a stage manager and lighting designer, as you were saying. And I also worked for Five Colleges, Inc. Um, so I was doing sort of supporting academic collaborations, supporting faculty and students. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're pretty recently out of college, right? Yeah, I graduated in 2019. 2019. Oh, good. You got, you got uh, out I before. I got out just before. You got out before, just before uh, the pandemic The happened. pandemic kind of destroyed yeah, so everybody's college sort of experience. started to settle in, okay. in working when the, yeah. the pandemic happened. Yeah. Um, and what were your long-term plans at that point, if you had them? I didn't really have okay, them well. at that point. Um, I think I was, you know, really invested and excited about my work in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I was also excited about my job at Five Colleges, which I had just gotten in January 2020. So, What was your major when you graduated? I Well, I went to Hampshire College, so I didn't really have a major. <laughs> but it was um, sort of theater and education primarily. Um, so that was sort of what I was focused yeah. on. Yeah, and as we'll hear, you're... you're, you're the education piece yeah, certainly the education um, um, is um, coming through on your work, and I'm sure theater affects everything that every that you do. It does um, in some ways. Um, so tell me how the pandemic um, kind of give, give me a, uh, an accounting of how the pandemic changed um, and brought you into this career in public health. Yeah. So the first thing I think that struck me with the pandemic was that theater just shut down. Yes. Um, which was a huge impact um, mm-hmm. for me, and even huger impact for friends of mine who were really making all of their money in that field. I felt so, so lucky that I had just gotten this job at five colleges a couple months prior um, because it gave me some stability. But I really found myself missing theater. I did some virtual theater. It is not the same as doing it in person with, with people and space together. And so I found myself really missing that. And then the other thing that really happened was I felt... I really wanted to be doing more about the pandemic, Mm -hmm. particularly sort of a few months in when it was really clear this was not going away overnight. Um, I was found myself feeling like I liked the work that I was doing Mm -hmm. at five colleges. I liked the sort of academic support that I was doing, but I really wanted to be doing something about the pandemic that felt more like direct and like I was contributing. Having an impact. Yeah, having an impact. Um, So I sort of wandering around on the internet, and I found a job application to be a contact tracer. Oh, um, interesting. And so I applied kind of mm-hmm. on a whim, um, mm-hmm. and I got that job, and so I ended up sort of starting work as a contact tracer for this project that was sort of Massachusetts DPH's project, mm-hmm. a public health's project, working with partners in health, health um, okay. 
And so I worked there um, for over a year. And what did that job entail? So I started out as sort of a ground level contact tracer and then Mm -hmm. as a case investigator. So in that role, I was really calling people who had tested positive for COVID or calling people who had been identified as a close contact Okay. um, and sort of interviewing them and Mm -hmm. also helping them connect with resources and support, which was my favorite part of that. Yeah, I can imagine. How was that? I imagine that was quite an experience. Was it... Um, more positive people, I mean, did people have positive reactions to you contacting them, negative? Or, or, although I would imagine it was kind of across the board. It was really all across the map. Um, so there were certainly, you know, people who would get on the phone and would start yelling. Oh, um, and, you know, who were really, really upset that we were mm-hmm. contacting them mm-hmm. and reaching out to them. There were people who were really grateful. There were more, I would say there were more positive experiences than negative. That's good to know. Um, yeah, but it was a lot of, and then I sort of, from that work, mm-hmm. moved into more kind of training and education work okay. within that organization. So I was training contact tracers. Um, Can I circle back to the, yeah. con- to the, to the questions that you yeah. asked? Were people able to remember what who they had come in contact with, mm-hmm. what they had mm-hmm. done that day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was, people were able to for the most part. Um, So, you know, we would work with people to kind of reconstruct their past few days, look at their calendars, think about where they've been. It was also earlier in the pandemic, people were going for the most part less places than they were now. I think that 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 work would be much, much harder. Yeah, I think when people were were going to so few places that it probably was a little easier to track where they might have gotten it. As an attorney, when we ask people to... Mm. Well, you know, where were you? What's this? This is uh, where were you on, on July twenty first? <laughs> right. You know, and what did you do that day? It's it's hard for people to oh, reconstruct yeah. a day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's a challenge. I think one thing that was sort of lucky in the contact tracing is that you're asking people at least about more recent experiences. True. So you know, you're not <laughs> asking where were you four months ago. Right. It's, it's, it's really all the in past the, kind week. of near term. Um, but yeah, that was a, it was really sort of fascinating work to be calling mm-hmm. people and talking to people like eight hours a day. Yeah. And to have that immersion in a pandemic experience that most people don't have and really hearing people's stories, yeah. I can imagine um, that can be very moving at times. Absolutely. Um, and so then you went into training other people to, mostly training other people to yes. do. Um, and um, what did, what did that entail? Um so we ran a lot of um, the contact tracing workforce was all digital, so mm-hmm. it was all oh, work from home. Okay, yeah. Um, so I was training a lot of people um, through sort of presentations, and mm-hmm. also we had like almost a kind of a Q and A sort of user support channel for contact tracers. So okay. I would sort of answer people's questions as they came up while they were on the phones. Um, I also did some quality assurance work, so I listened to oh, okay, calls I was sort of um, like figured out, um, sort of helped people mm-hmm. do a better job okay. um, with the yeah. work that they were doing in contact tracing. Okay. Um, so that was a lot of the work that I did. And then ultimately towards the end of the project, I worked on a team training local public health across the state oh, to sort okay. of take back the work of contact mm-hmm. tracing, which right. typically, I'll not get too much into the weeds of this, but typically sort of local public health does contact tracing for most diseases. Okay. And so it was really unusual that there was this sort of bigger force around COVID because of the kind of unprecedented nature of the yeah, pandemic. Exactly, yeah. That's that's interesting. I don't think most of us think about what the pub- public health organizations are doing along those lines, along yeah. of contact tracing. I think it's probably something nobody outside of uh, public health and medicine had really thought much about before the pandemic. That, well, and that like they, AIDS that they do with monkeypox, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get people to make admissions sometimes. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. right. Um, it doesn't have necessarily that, at least with COVID, it didn't have that st- stigma that, mm-hmm. that would keep people from 
revealing what was going on. And I imagine most people wanted to be helpful because it yeah, was so dire. There was definitely some stigma, I would say, that, that came up, you know, not wanting people to get in trouble or be perceived mm. as getting people ah. in trouble or like you're going to send someone to call yeah. them. Like it, there was stress around that. I, I could think, imagine. Right. Um, but I think that really like active listening skills and being, you know, present and supportive mm -hmm. to people mm -hmm. and helping, helping them get resources as well. So it's not just like I'm here on the phone and I'm getting a lot of information from you. It's like, I am here to support you. Yeah. And also, can you share some of these details with me so that we can help make sure that people are safe? Yeah. And that must have been, for some people, um, a real comfort because they're alone in their homes. Mm -hmm. They're probably not even going to the doctor. They're sick. They feel probably bad about whether they've, they've spread it. And mm -hmm. so to have somebody really call and listen and really listen um, must have been really helpful it's, for some people. It's Dan. I have a question for yeah. you about maybe the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. How did people react maybe in March of 2020 versus six months later or, or whenever you began. I'm mm -hmm. curious to know, were there changes? Because I can imagine it being scarier in the beginning. Mm -hmm. yes. Because if yes. you got COVID at first, there was no talk about vaccines. We didn't yeah. know what it right. meant yeah. for people. And then later on, more information, mm -hmm. vaccines were, hey, they're working on trials. Yeah. Did that change everybody's behavior? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think that the um, there was a lot of shift, you know, particularly once vaccinations became more available, which really was like almost a whole year. Mm. Um, yeah. And that was still really fast um, in right. terms of vaccine Extremely development. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was definite changes sort of over the course of the pandemic. And I think particularly in the contact tracing with, you know, how much people were going out and about um, and sort of where people were, and then, yeah, the amount of fear definitely sort of post-vaccine that that shifted. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still, I mean, it was still a really scary experience for people, sure. and I think still is, particularly yeah. for folks who are more vulnerable, yep. older folks, yep. and people with sort of who are immunocompromised and have other yeah. health conditions. It's still still really a present, present thing for people. Yeah. yeah. Um, my guest is Ezekiel Baskin, and he's the Rural Health Education Coordinator at New England Rural Health Association. And we're talking about how the pandemic really changed the course of his career, at least at this point in their life. Um, and how did how did um, this work, or the contact tracing, change your understanding of COVID? I imagine you got a very quick education um, in it. And did you learn and understand things that you didn't before about um, the illness? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that talking to people, one thing that I've been thinking about is sort of the the amount of confusion there was about how serious is this? Mm -hmm. How, you know, I'm hearing that people are fine, but I'm hearing that people are really sick and dying. And so I think part of what was really impactful for me was hearing people across sort of across the map and realizing that like all of that is true. Like people, mm -hmm. there were people who were getting really, really sick. Yeah. And there were also people who you know experienced it as more of a frustration than anything mm -hmm. else. And I think having that kind of direct one-on-one -on -one contact with people and also just hearing the stories of people across the state was yeah. really, really, like, fascinating and, um, like, a just positive experience for me to really be able to listen yeah, to people yeah. and, and hold them and, and be, yeah, be with yeah. them in that sort of space, even just on the phone, just, just over voice. Yeah, and understand the diversity of experiences, mm -hmm. too, with it, because I'm sure there was a great deal of diversity in how people experienced it. Absolutely. Um, and we'll go to a break now. Um, and afterwards, we're going to hear more about Ezekiel's work um, in the newer position as Rural Health Education Coordinator. Tumble out of 
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from 9 to 5. Working 9 to 5. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the Afternoon Buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, message at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, message at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This week's Shop Tuesday is Saturday Passes to the Unifier Festival. The Northeast's premier High Vibe Festival is back. A four-day music, dance, healing, and expressive arts festival held in Camp Timber Trails in Tolland, Mass. Featuring live music, workshops, yoga, and an art show, it's a place for ceremony, permaculture, and circus arts with organic food and a 16-acre lake. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Saturday Passes to the Unifier Festival. Available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSP Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSP Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Monitoring your credit score and report is an important tool in protecting your finances and can help you identify errors and prevent fraud. Our GSB Credit Center is just one of the great benefits that comes free with both our free online banking and our free mobile app. And with the GSB mobile app, you can check your score and access your credit report free anytime and from anywhere using your mobile device. And checking your credit report at the GSB Credit Center will not affect your credit score. Sign up today at any of our offices or online. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC. Member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. Credit agency Equifax says a coding error was responsible for its sending lenders the wrong credit scores for millions of Americans. Out of the millions impacted by the mistake, some 300,000 consumers' credit scores were off by 25 points, meaning some people may have been denied a loan. If safety is your top consideration in choosing a vehicle, you might want to skip over the midsize sedans. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety reports only three of the seven midsize cars it tested earned good or acceptable ratings when subjected to an updated side impact crash test. The Federal Aviation Administration is asking airline passengers for comments about aircraft seat sizes. There are no federal regulations about seat sizes, but the agency has received an increasing number of complaints from flyers who say they don't have enough room. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we're back with Megan's in, I don't know what it is, semi-post-pandemic Some, Something having to do with the table. pandemic that's never going to end. And your guest, Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel Baskin. Um, and Ezekiel is the Rural Health Education Coordinator at New England Rural Health Association. And we're talking about how the 
um, pandemic has impacted their career trajectory. Um, and so tell me about your current position um, as the Rural Health Education Coordinator. Yeah, so the New England Rural Health Association is the Rural Health Association for the six New England states. Um, so every state has one in New England. We sort of pooled pooled mm-hmm. our resources together. Yes, makes sense. Um, so the New England Association serves all six states. Um, so we do, we're basically a convening organization. So we work with okay. a lot of partners throughout New England mm-hmm. um, who have some kind of stake in healthcare. Um, so that includes community members mm-hmm. and rural hospitals and federally qualified health centers and community-based organizations, community coalitions and individual providers. And so all sorts okay. of people who kind of work, state government, mm-hmm. um, work with healthcare. And there they're are just really huge health disparities in rural areas. Yes, um, and that's, that is true in New England as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's sometimes a perception that New England isn't rural because of, <laughs> you know, it's there's not the vastness of a South yeah. Dakota or right. a well, You feel Montana. that in Western Mass. Um, but, but yeah, we have, we have really rural areas in Massachusetts and there are huge issues with yes. health access in our, in our rural areas. Yes. So a lot of my work now is really focused on addressing that. Okay. And what are, you, what are your particular um, um, day-to-day that in, in yeah. your position? So I am primarily work on a grant project called the Rural Vaccine Equity Initiative, ah, okay. um, which is a Massachusetts-based project through our Department of Public Health here in Massachusetts. Um, so I work with community-based organizations mm-hmm. all throughout um, rural Massachusetts in different areas from the Berkshires to the Cape and the Islands um, and everything in between. Um, and I work with the leaders of those organizations, sort of supporting them in their work. Um, and I hold a learning collaborative where okay. we sort of gather together mm-hmm. virtually and kind of teach each other about the work that's happening in rural Massachusetts right. and think about kind of connection and um, mm-hmm. and how to sort of build better health access and health equity. And is there is the work around um, vaccines to both get the makes vaccines available and to educate about why? The vaccines yes, are necessary. Absolutely, yeah. There's um, there's an education piece. Mm-hmm. There's a mitigation piece. There's outreach, and then there's access. I mean, if people yeah. have to drive an hour to get a vaccine, and right. they don't have a car, or they're working all the time, mm-hmm. and they have young kids at home, that's a, a huge barrier. Yes. And so a lot of the work is really focused on making sure there is access, and then making sure people have good information to make informed choices. All right. And what what impacts are you seeing um, that COVID is having sort of right now in your work? This this phase of the pandemic. How are you seeing it impacting rural health? So there's been big spikes in COVID again, mm-hmm. thanks to this most Correct. recent BA5 variant primarily. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing, you know, a lot more systems issues, you know, transportation systems shutting down because bus drivers can't right. go to work or mm-hmm. teachers can't go to work. And so there's that's an impact that's happening. Um, we're spending a lot of time right now focusing on vaccination for children, which yes. the sort of the zero to five, mm-hmm. six months to five year old yeah. is newer, and then also boosters for young children, and then kind of gearing up for what will hopefully be another round of boosters this fall um, for oh, the gosh. general population. Yes, that's um, wonderful and, then, and awful. Yeah, and then um, that's sort of like the fatigue too that everyone mm-hmm. is feeling about the yeah. pandemic, and that's a big piece of it is that's like trying challenge. to you know help help figure out how to make the continued existence through the pandemic as kind of painless as possible (laughs) um, and, you know, help get people the resources that they need while also recognizing that people are really tired of hearing about COVID. Yes. And how has this experience changed you of this real immersion in public health during the biggest health, public health crisis of our time? Yeah, I think... 
I have really grown an appreciation for public health systems that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. there's so much of public health. It's kind of the stage manager of ah. um, of our sort <laughs> of system in that like there's if you if it's working well, you don't notice it. Right. Like I think there's so much incredible public health work hap- happening all the time. Um, things like flu vaccine clinics mm-hmm. that happen every year that help us stop having these giant flu outbreaks and right. things like fall prevention for seniors mm-hmm. and building mm-hmm. safer roads and sidewalks and um, seat belts and all of so much work in substance use and opioid use. And there's mm-hmm. like, there's just so much work happening in public health all the time. And I think I wasn't aware of a lot of it when I wasn't working in it. It just sort of it was there, but I didn't see it. Yeah. And now I'm much, much more aware. And I have a lot of gratitude towards all the work that people are doing to really like make our make our world safer for everyone. Yeah, because I'm. it's definitely an undersung field, and I mm-hmm. suspect an underpaid field yes. in many ways. Um, do you plan to continue in public health? Um, further, you know, obviously continuing your job for now, but beyond that, and have you considered further education in public health? Yeah, I, I do plan to continue okay. in public health. I'm really... Loving my work in public health. I am also still working in theater at the same yes. time. Yes, um, and you know, don't want to give that up either. Mm-hmm. But I, I've been really appreciating my work in public health. I love building connections with people and organizations, and I think that there's just something that feels really, um, really meaningful about work mm-hmm. that is supporting kind of the, I mean, the public health, the public good yeah, in this yeah. way. And um, and I also would just plug briefly that there's we do have this big workforce crisis mm-hmm. in public health yes. and in healthcare more broadly. Yes, we do. Um, so if you're if you're listless and listening and looking for direction, <laughs> um, public health is a great field to work it's in. I, I think it's great, and I'm very yeah. great. We are are grateful for the work that you're doing. But I I, I couldn't help in the very beginning mm-hmm. when Megan first asked you about this sort of change in your career. Now I love the altruism that you expected. I wanted to do something meaningful. I wanted mm-hmm. to help people, especially at a time when the world was on fire. Well, I wonder if it wasn't a COVID and a public health issue, if it was a food scarcity issue mm-hmm. or, or something else that was as dire as COVID felt and as universal as COVID felt, if that same motivation would have led you into mm-hmm. that direction or mm-hmm. is it really public health that you're really interested in? I think that's a great question because in some ways it's it really is all connected. So like when you think about something like food scarcity and food justice, like that really fits into the work of public health too. And so I think that that's part of what I've been appreciating about my current role is like I'm working with, you know, healthcare providers, but I'm also working on transportation and on food and housing and all of these things that are, we think of as like social determinants of Mm -hmm. health, like these things that create poor health outcomes. And so I think that part of what I love about public health is it has this really broad scope to think about all of the big issues in our society that are, you know, causing people to yeah. to have sort of poor health outcomes. Yeah, and and so much um, of the challenges in our society right now could fall under the umbrella of public health. Absolutely. Um, and I was going to mention when you were talking about, you know, if there are people out there, you know, looking at ways to help and careers. And UMass has a fantastic mm-hmm. school of public health. And they have one of the um, few undergraduate public health degrees. Most public health programs are master's and PhDs. And they have one of the few, um, at least in New England, undergraduate degrees. So put in a plug for the great work of the UMass um, School of Public Health. Um, and and to, to segue a, a little bit, um, how has your experience with theater been different? Because you're still doing theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, what's it like in this current semi, not really post-pandemic era? 
Yeah. Um, I've been doing a lot of outdoor theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished an outdoor show, which I actually was talking to Jackie Walsh about the other week here. Oh, um, and that that went really well. We had um, over 250 people come out to the Three Sisters Sanctuary oh, in Goshen fantastic. to see, see our outdoor theater. So I think that, that that's part of it for me is like finding ways to make theater that feel safer still, mm-hmm. that feel you know comfortable to people who might not be ready to be in an indoor space still with a lot of people packed closely together. Yeah. Um, so that's been that's been a lot of it too. Is thinking about like how can we keep the work going, but in safe ways. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Ezekiel, for being here today and for talking about um, the way this terrible experience of the pandemic um, has been a positive for you in in that it helped really helped you develop a car- a career direction that is fulfilling and also doing amazingly good work. So thank you. And thank helping you. a lot of people. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And as somebody who lives in a rural area. Thank you, especially mm-hmm. for that rural health. This, it's uh, it's hot. Tomorrow is supposed to be cooling off. The oh, next few days are supposed to be a little bit better. Thank goodness. So thank you for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to talking with you tomorrow. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It would be so nice to come home to. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to, you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's five o'clock.